0: at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're going to be talking about difficult conversations that get positive results with Dr. Marsha Reynolds. So I'm Maureen Metcalf, your host. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institutes we help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in identifying disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that today our guest is Dr. Marcia Reynolds. is the president of CoVisioning LLC. She is endlessly curious about how humans learn and grow. She found coaching to be the best technology we have for accelerating the process of change. She's coached and trained leaders and coaches in 41 countries and has presented at the Harvard Kennedy School, Cornell University, and the National Research University in Moscow. Marsha is a pioneer in the coaching profession. She's a founding member and fifth global president of the International Coaching Federation. She's published five books, including The Discomfort Zone, How Leaders Turn Difficult Conversation into Breakthroughs, and will release her latest book, Coach the Person, Not the Problem, in June. So today we're going to be talking about how to turn resistance into a productive result. You'll learn how to mentally prepare for conversations as well as what to do while you're in them. No matter if you're wearing the hat of the leader, the parent, or the friend, you'll gain the confidence and tips that you need to hold your next difficult conversation. The more time you put into it, the more able you will be a more time you put into preparation, the more confident and competent you will be in having these uncomfortable conversations. So, Marcia, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Maureen, for having me here. So, is there anything you want to tell us about your background before we jump into the topic?
2: Well, actually, Maureen, I've been uh, curious about what does it take to change people's behavior, to help them improve, get better, make changes, um, for decades. So my second master's, which was a long time ago, was in um, adult learning. And I learned how to design training programs for leaders. And they would come through my programs. They'd say, oh, you changed my life. They'd give me happy faces on the evaluation forms. And then they'd go back and do the same thing they always did. And so I, I kept trying to learn. What does it take? What does it take? Um, and I, it, it took me quite a while that uh, to discover that there were different ways you had to have conversations with people that made them think differently, not just do things differently. And that's when I found coaching and how to use a coaching approach to conversations to help people actually shift their perspective, which changes their behavior. So it took a long time to find, find a real path forward.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I, I do get that changing mindset really does help drive new behaviors. We can memorize and learn behaviors But they don't become as innate until we change how we think about it.
2: Right. And I always ask people, so how many things do you know you should be doing, even just today, that you're not doing? So knowing I should do something and it's the best thing for me doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and do it. (laughs) So there's got to be other things that help uh, and not just inspire but again, expand how people see themselves in the world so they just naturally act differently.
1: So that's a great intro to the first segment, which is, look, which is looking differently at difficult conversations. So why do we avoid uncomfortable conversations even when we know they're important, other than the yeah. obvious, they're uncomfortable?
2: Yeah, right. Well, this, what I... Did find that surprised me in um, all of my work and my research was that uh, the moment of discomfort when people recognize that what they think they know um, isn't serving them and isn't good, they're very uncomfortable. Uh, And it could be embarrassed, it could be, it could even get angry, but that's the moment they're most open to learning. We don't know that. So we've been brought up to believe emotions are bad, um, and so we don't want them to occur in our conversations. Um, and uh, we think uh, learning is motivational, and um, I feel good, and so I change, which isn't necessarily the case. So it's part, partially the uncertainty that emotion, unemotional expression has. And um, so most of the time when I coach leaders, uh, they come to me and they say, oh, I have this uncomfortable conversation I have to have. And I say, so what's going to happen? And they always think of the worst. Oh, they're going to show an emotion and then I won't know what to do. And, you know, so they create this horrible situation before they even go into the conversation because they're uncomfortable with other people's emotions.
1: And that's kind of how our human brains function, isn't it? That it we are wired yeah. to anticipate the worst so we can prepare for it, but we're not yeah. to also anticipate the best so we can create that.
2: Right, and so we do. We have this thing called a negativity bias where we, we catastrophize. It's the worst case scenario. Um, but part of that is, again, because we see the emotions as bad. So what you just said is that, you know, we don't see the good in it. Well, we've already judged that an emotional expression is bad instead of it just being a a human going through a human process. You know, so first we have to even look at what is the belief I'm having about this, uh, an emotion, and... Uh, And then my assumptions, my speculation about the future, about um, the horrible thing the emotion means. You know, and so if we examine those things, maybe we can start shifting that, oh, it's a bad thing, and say, no, you know, when people show an emotion, they're actually expressing things that help us get down to the bottom of problems, and we can help resolve the problems and help them move forward. The, the first thing is to shift our our own judgment around what emotions mean.
1: I love the idea that, that one, we see emotions as bad and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. At least our U.S. listeners, mm-hmm. if people blew up like I did, we weren't taught mm-hmm. that emotions were a good thing and bad. Boy, aren't we joyful when someone cries in front of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had a great hey. day, honey. I made people cry. Um,
2: yeah. <laughs> Although in China, I have a, a reputation that, oh, if Marsha coaches you, she will make you cry. <laughs> I <have a> <laughs> and so effect. they all want to be coached by me. <laughs> it's a funny thing. <laughs> hey, now With You the- know, we, um, and many cultures were brought up uh, saying that emotions are bad. But you you know where that comes from, Maureen? Um, It actually was a couple hundred years ago when there was this big shift in psychology, um, because it used to be emotions meant a lot. If you look at the Greek philosophers, they talked about the power of emotions. But when Descartes came in, the I think, Mm -hmm. therefore I am, and all of a sudden, it was about the logical brain, and everything else didn't count. Not emotions, not feelings, in the body, nothing. As if we uh, were robots. I always say, you know, we want um, our humans to be more like robots, but our robots to be more like humans.
1: And, interesting. And we, we idolize Spock, Right.
2: Yes, we do, and and you know and the whole thing with uh, when we hit the industrial revolution, the, it was about how do we um, do the test to see what makes people productive, um, without thinking that maybe it's about their social relationships and how comfortable they feel that would make them productive, not the lighting and the the the, the, <laughs> the things they sit on. So we have this like idea that. Uh, you know, people can actually go about their days um, just thinking and not feeling, uh, which when even when I say it, doesn't that sound crazy?
1: It really does. And, and that's where the Gallup folks did such a good job of looking at engagement and saying, if I don't have a mm-hmm. best friend at work, and I realize we can get into yeah. all kinds of conversations about best friend and work right. and from personal, but if I don't have trusting strong relationships with people who will look out for my best interest Mm -hmm. it's hard to feel Mm -hmm. safe enough to do the risky work yeah and i when i say risky i don't mean doing catching the building on fire but i do mean simple stuff like trying new behaviors
2: absolutely we don't take risks well, and these days, the younger generations, they just leave. They go find a job somewhere else. So it's not just about engagement, it's about turnover. Um, that if I'm not comfortable um, and I don't like where I work, um, it totally affects uh, what I do. And, and, you know, even Google did this study over a number of years. They were looking at their most effective teams, their high performing teams. And they were wanting to know what is it that they do differently, like processes. And they found nothing was similar <laughs> across the teams, except when they did their surveys, the people said, I feel safe. I feel safe that I can say whatever I want and I won't be judged. You know, and if I, if I get angry or if I am afraid of something, it's okay. I feel safe. And that was the the critical piece for the teams to be productive. So how can a leader help their employees to feel psychologically safe um, in a conversation, no matter what they're experiencing? You know, that's the key to truly having a good uh, conversation about change.
1: So will you say that again? It is the key, helping them?
2: To feel psychologically safe, that they won't be judged, that no matter what they express and if they have an emotional reaction, um, it'll be okay. That the leader will just hold the space and um, allow them to go through that and then continue the conversation.
1: So is that also the key for the leader, when they're going into one of these conversations, that they feel psychologically safe?
2: You know, that's a good point. That, um, you know, what it is that they create, I always say they have to set themselves emotionally. Um, so, right, you're, you're right. They have to talk to themselves that this is not going to be horrible. I am going to handle it just fine. Um, and If they make a mistake, that's okay, too. I always say people want you to be present more than they need you to be perfect. They're not looking for a perfect leader. They're looking for a leader who cares.
1: Well, I think that's really the message, isn't it, that when I have to give difficult feedback, when I can say, Mm -hmm. and it took me years to learn this, probably decades, that Mm -hmm. I care about you and I care about your success, Mm -hmm. and there's this Mm -hmm. thing. And if you continue doing that thing, It interferes Mm -hmm. with you accomplishing your goals, appearing professional, whatever it is. It's that Mm -hmm. delivery with care that matters more than um, technically accurate um, delivery following some formula.
2: Tips. Right. Well, you know, and that's even the first step of um, mental preparation for a difficult conversation is, number one, what's your intention? for the conversation. Are you there to truly help the person? You know, this isn't about meeting KPIs and what you want. The person has to feel as if you are there to help them achieve something they want. You know, and so you need to know what is it that they want. Do they want to be a leader? Do they want to be seen? Um, as credible by their peers? That do they just want to be accepted or some peace and quiet? What's important to the employee that they're not getting because of their behavior? And you're there to help them get their needs and their goals met by helping them change. They have to feel that.
1: And how you frame the conversation impacts very much then their experience of the interaction
2: right but that's the first thing is like um that what's in it for me that is still valid (laughs) they have to feel that you're there for them and not just for yourself and leaders forget that they get disappointed and angry with people and and they forget that in order to give feedback to to help them improve, that the person has to feel that they are there for them and to help them achieve something that they want, that they're not getting.
1: And the same is true of giving feedback to children. That's true. It's easy. Well, I'm assuming it's easier to remember we love you and we want the best for you, but I'm not sure that's always true.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Right. And how do they respond? Well, that's what you want.
1: (laughs) You want me to go to college. I don't want that. Exactly. So, on that note, let's go on break. And I encourage our listeners to think about. The last time you had a difficult conversation with someone, how did you feel before you went in and what did you do to prepare? And when we come back, Marsha will give us a little more information about the step-by-step process of preparation for these difficult conversations.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today.
1: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Your Future. Today, we are joined with Dr. Marsha Reynolds, and we're talking about difficult conversations that get positive results. So we ended the conversation starting to talk about how do you prepare. So as we step into this section, Marsha, can you walk our listeners through more detail about how they can prepare themselves so that the conversation goes in the positive direction rather than results in all the negative catastrophizing that we have imagined could be possible.
2: Right. Well, I call this creating a safety bubble. So, you know, we talked in the last segment about, you know, the importance of people feeling safe, and I love that you added that the leader needs to feel safe as well. That. Um, Mentally preparing for these conversations is critical. Oftentimes what people do, uh, no matter if it's a leadership conversation or a conversation with your friend, is that we script it and then we memorize the words, you know, this is what I'm going to say. And we don't think about uh, how we're going to feel. So there's three things that are really important in mentally preparing for for a difficult conversation Uh, or a transformational conversation (laughs) as we start to look at this as a possibility instead of something negative. But the first one is what we talked about before, the intention, that you want to be really clear about what is the intention of the conversation. Are you just wanting to to change them or punish them? um, Or is it that you truly want to help them achieve something that they want that they're not getting. So you may need to even do a little research. And and if you don't know, that's where the conversation needs to start, to discover, you know, what is it that's important to you um, when you are with your coworkers and it's not going well or with the work that you're doing. Um, Your conversation always has to be focused on helping them achieve what they need um, and their goals. If you really want them to change, so the intention of the conversation is the first thing, and you and, and you can always come back to that. If the person starts to get defensive, then you'd say, you know, I understand your perspective, and remember that I'm here to help you achieve this. And um, I want to give you a little example on this. I was coaching a leader. Um, who her boss had told her that until your peers see you as a leader, I'm not going to promote you, and she really wanted a promotion. And um, here was the problem. So this was, she was a leader uh, for a group, for an international company, but she was in um, Panama, and this was the Latin American region. But she was Dutch. (laughs) And so... Her values and what she thought was important were slightly different than the rest of her team. And she was all about efficiency and getting things done right. And um, I asked her, I said, well, what do you think is important to them? And, And she said, wow, they're all about relationships and family. I said, well, you know, you go into these meetings and um, and then you judge them, um, and uh, you jump all over them for their ideas. Yet your values are different. You know, so what do you think it's going to take for you to shift so they know that you that you understand what they think is important? Well, she kept balking and it's like, yeah, I get that it's important, but but what I think is important is is critical too. But I kept coming back to the goal, but your peers need to see you as a leader for you to get what you want. And um, there was quite a few times that I had to keep coming back to that. Are you interested in them seeing you as a leader and what it is you need to do? in order for that to happen. So by knowing the intention and what is it, what's important for them to achieve, you've got to keep coming back to that. You know, you're there to help them achieve that, and you may need to remind them of their goal, you know, especially strong personalities. So that's a critical piece. What is it that they want or need in order to um, achieve, you know, their, their bigger goal?
1: So this also then gets to the culture of the organization that as a leader, I know my mm-hmm. people well enough and I've created an environment yeah. where they can share their goals. It's not all about just, I keep my job because I show up and I do what I'm told, but but I'm treated right. as a whole human being with aspirations that are are shared and I as the leader am committed to helping people accomplish their goals, which for people do engaged in coaching, that's not a new concept, but not every work environment promotes that sense.
2: Well, you're absolutely right. There's um, a shift that's gone on in the last decade or so where uh, employees want their leaders to be more of their partners in their career development, not their leader. Um, and that shift in A a partnership mentality is really important you know that's why a coaching approach in leadership conversations has become so important Um, and that when I said before that if you don't know what someone wants then that needs to be the first part of the conversation you know what is important to you you know, it's yeah, interesting.
1: Which, this can be mm-hmm. tricky because as the boss, I am both in the role of making sure people deliver results, the things they're mm-hmm. getting paid for, then helping mm-hmm. them grow and develop. And, and and while we say we want to create an environment where they can share their their aspirations, mm-hmm. they also need to be meeting the the job requirements. Well, you know, that's an interesting uh
2: Observation. But think about it. If you have someone that has career aspirations that are not in alignment at all with the job they're doing, are they going to stay? Are they going to do their best? I mean, I would think that that would be something you'd want to have when you hire someone. (laughs) You know, what is it that's important to you? How can this job help you achieve your ultimate goals? And it may be that their ultimate goals. Uh, are not with the organization, but what they can do in the next uh, five years. Which you know, most employees don't stay beyond five years these days. Anyway, they don't stay beyond two years <laughs> right now. But but truly understanding, you know, mm-hmm. I inherited a department in my last company. I, I ran the, the training for this large corporation. And they gave me the factory trainers, which I knew nothing about the factory. And uh, the first thing I asked each of them in our one-on-ones is, well, what would you like uh, for your career, and how can I help you? And they were shocked that I even asked them that question. Mm -hmm. And they were all different. The first one wanted to learn the computer system so she could update the forms, which was like, okay, fine. The second one wanted to be developed to be a supervisor, and she knew that that at that point we didn't have a need. But we went public, and we grew really fast, and I prepared her to be a supervisor, even when we didn't have the need. And she was so happy, and she was ready. And then the third one... I remember, I asked her the questions, you know, what do you want for yourself and how can I help you? And she started crying. She says, I've worked here 13 years. Nobody's ever asked me that. You know, so so in all honesty, um, is it against the organization and organizational goals to try to understand what people want and how you can help them? Or is that not a part of leadership? that I am here to help you achieve what you want. And won't that even create loyalty to the leader who helps I, them to grow?
1: I agree that it does. The point I was trying to to um, hone in on is that the, the equation has to be they also say, I want to be a supervisor. I mm-hmm. also have to meet the requirements of this job while I'm learning to be a supervisor. I don't get to right. draw... Part of my responsibility is because I don't really want to do this.
2: Right. And so, you know, one of the, the skills that I teach uh, in coaching is bottom lining. Got it. Okay, bottom line, I'm going to help you do this, and uh, you still have to meet your goals uh, in order to prove that you deserve to be a leader in this company.
1: Perfect. And that was the point for, for listeners, because I've had these conversations, they're not doing their job. How can I help Mm -hmm. them go learn to do something else? The first responsibility is, is get the work done. So I love the idea of bottom lining and, and it's Mm -hmm. a trade-off and, and here is the foundational requirement.
2: Right. You know, we got to pay our dues. Sorry. (laughs) But you know, that, and, and I understand that, um, you know, some employees don't quite get that. Well, why do I have to do that? So you have to be clear. So there, there is a you know direct communication. That again, it doesn't mean that you're tough. It just means you're you're direct and you're clear about what is required and what you want for them. So I want this for you, and here's what's required. It's an and conversation, not an or conversation.
1: Absolutely, I. I... you and I are on the same page. I just wanted to raise that point because I can imagine some of our listeners are saying, yeah, but they're not.
2: Exactly. (laughs) But but's often an excuse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that's just step one of three in mental preparation. So, you know, you see how complex that can be. So let's go to
1: two of the three steps.
2: Okay, so, you know, once you at least have an inkling, of what it is they want. And you could be wrong, and they, but then allow them to tell you that because you need to learn that. But number two is to really check your emotional state because oftentimes when we go into what we think is going to be a difficult conversation, um, we're upset, we're angry, we're disappointed. Um, you know, something happened that, that probably you didn't expect or didn't want. So you really have to look at, though, what is the emotions I'm bringing into this conversation? Because if you're upset or disappointed, you're already going to impact the person. They're not going to feel safe with you. They're not going to open up to you. and They'll either resist you and get defensive, or they will just comply and say, okay, fine. And neither one of those responses is going to get you the outcome you want. So you have to go in with uh, some hope. You know, and um, like, okay, I, I do, I believe in this person, I think we can get through this, and if I can just find the path, we're going to get through this together. You've got to check your emotions and bring in um, uh, care, curiosity, um, maybe compassion, courage. You know, so I always say pick two. What two emotions do you want to bring in with you? Um, And then if you start to get upset, you can just quickly go back in your brain to those one or two emotions. Um, Because know that the moment they see you, I always say, do you know what happens when you walk in a room? The moment you walk in, your your emotions have an impact
1: on people. Oh, yeah, it's contagious even if you don't realize it.
2: Right, and don't think, oh, I'll just, you know, hide my emotions. No, emotions have um, energy, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's actually measurable energy now. And, again, the moment you walk in the room or they see you, they're sensing how you feel. So you have to do an actual emotional shift. I mean, this is where emotional Mm -hmm. intelligence comes in. How do I actually shift in the moment? And if you can't, then, then be honest. To say, you know, I really want to believe in you, and I'm disappointed. You know, you've promised me three times, and three times you've not met your promise. So be honest with it. You know, I want to believe in you, but I'm disappointed or I'm a little upset. Just tell them why. Don't fake it, because they're going to know.
1: Great, and we have like one minute left in the segment, so let's say what the third one is, and then we can come back after break and talk a little bit more about that as well.
2: Okay, well, the third one relates to what I just said: is that um, you've got to believe in the person. You've got to have a high regard. You've got to believe that even though they may not be showing uh, what the best they can do right now, you have to believe they can. Um, People have to. Sense that you believe in their potential. Um, so, what's it going to take to believe that they can uh, do better? And,
1: and that gets back saying. then to the psychological safety piece that mm-hmm. that I've created a safe environment. Even if you've said, Maureen, I'm disappointed in you in how you prepared for our interview.
2: Yeah, and but I believe I you can do better. That. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, so that feels different than, boy, was that a terrible interview. Yeah. <sighs> You're really bad. You have to change. Because <laughs> <laughs> that leaves me afraid that I'm not going to keep my job. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, great. We're going to go on break now. Uh, this is Maureen Metcalf and Marsha. Um and oh, sorry, Marsha Reynolds. And we are talking about difficult conversations. And in this segment, Marsha talked about three uh, steps in preparing, and that is setting our intention, checking our emotions because they are contagious. And then both believing in the person and conveying that in my words and my demeanor, both so that we set the tone for them to Actually, feel supported to make a change, especially if that change is going to be difficult for them. We will be right back for segment three.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today.
1: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Hi, welcome back. You are with uh, Marsha Reynolds and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about difficult conversations that get positive results. So in the last segment, we talked about how do we prepare ourselves. Marsha, now the question is, so I've, I've prepared, I'm ready, I, I have a clear intention, I'm feeling positive, but halfway through the conversation, my mental state has gone to some bad place. Uh, I've shifted back to that catastrophizing and they're never going to get it. And this is going poorly. How do I catch myself and fix in the moment, uh, f- fix, maybe the wrong word, but shift myself from this, I want to stay alive and make it through the conversation to this person really is someone I value and I'm here to support them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Maureen, this again comes back to, you know, the skills around emotional intelligence. But um, in writing my new book, um, I've come up with the words catch and release. Mm. <laughs> that we have to, to know it, it, emotional states are in the body. Uh, and um, so the one that truly gets leaders, now, this is... Something that I really came on to just a few years ago, um, that judgment is an emotion. We often think of judgment as an opinion. Um, They're right. They're wrong. They shouldn't do that. Uh, When actually, we have an emotional reaction in our body somewhere before it actually comes out of our mouth.
1: And then we attach Um, thought to it. That's bad.
2: Exactly. And, you know, uh, this is why I love teaching in China, because our value systems are so different that they trigger my judgment all the time. (laughs) And I've come to find that my judgment shows up like this kind of hit right in the middle of my chest in my solar plexus. I get this, And, and, and if I can catch it and breathe and just release the energy and come back to appreciating this person in front of me who's really struggling and trying to get through this and I'm there to help them. You know, that I can then release my judgment to come back to being present. But I have to know where it is in my body before it floods my brain. And I get a um, and, and so I, oh I tell God. people, you know, a good a good way of identifying that is to go places where your judgment gets triggered, um, like maybe not right now when we're kind of all in isolation, but but like go to an airport and walk around. People will trigger <laughs> you all the time. <laughs> you know? So when you go to places where you know that you're going to have judgment, then you can start recognizing, but how does judgment feel in my body? That's the first step. And then you have to breathe. You have to release the tension in that So you can relax and come back to be present
1: to the person. I love the idea that as leaders or coaches or people helping others, that there's a Mm -hmm. practice for being judgmental. Yeah. We're stopping to be judgmental, not to be.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, we're real good at being judgmental. (laughs)
2: Well, and the thing is, is that we are judgmental by, by nature. I always tell people, you know, we are judgy people out of survival. So don't tell me, oh, I'm not judgmental, because we all are. Um, when we walk into a room, we're judging, you know, what, what is safe, what's not safe. So if you just accept it, that's the first step is to accept I'm judgmental. Let me start identifying when a judgment appears. And that's what's going to get in the way of these conversations. So, yeah, you might become a little afraid if somebody shows an emotion or you might get angry. But oftentimes it's because we judge the situation as right, wrong,
1: good or bad. So can you catch that? Mm -hmm. And again, being judgmental is human. Right. We are yes. wired. Our brains are wired to keep us alive. So something that feels, mm-hmm. quote, bad, given my upbringing may feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. And my brain right. is is wired to give me that pain in my chest or my stomach to say, alert, this could be bad. And, and exactly. So, uh, I, exactly. Me, one of things that's been so helpful is to just acknowledge that my physiology is doing what it's intended to do. And it's a good thing. And my yeah. brain can choose or not choose to override that feeling of judgment.
2: Right, right. In fact, that was my first book is called Outsmart Your Brain. <laughs> and that's the first step is to say, okay, I'm having a reaction that's normal, but but it, so it's not about stopping your reactions. You're going to be judgmental. You're going to uh, have fears. Um, it's what you do next. So to say,
1: that oh, release, right? That I can say, yeah. okay, this is this one's safe.
2: Yeah, right. And that, as humans, we have the power then to choose to say, I'm having an emotion. Okay, that's interesting. What is it that's best for me to do
1: next? Beautiful. And then again, back to the idea that I can practice it because it is not natural that when I judge something. I can then say, oh, but that's okay. Yeah. My, my physiology well,
2: doesn't say Benjamin that's okay. Benjamin Zander, um, who wrote the book The Art of Possibility, he says, well, you know, you just stop and say, that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having an emotion or a judgment. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So what do I do with it? <laughs> mm-hmm. So we shift, we reframe how we... Uh, uh, feel about not just other people's emotions, but our own emotions, which helps us then choose uh, to to override what the brain might tell us to, to do, and actually have free will to choose what to do next.
1: Well, and the other thing then that that this speaks to is, I worry before I go in the meeting, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? This tells mm-hmm. me one, I can practice these skills of catch and release. And even if it mm-hmm. feels like it's going off the rails, I have the capacity to bring it back to something constructive.
2: Absolutely. So, yeah, don't beat yourself up for, for reacting, because, again, we all do. Um, and, and if you start to beat yourself up, then you start to spiral, and then you're not in control. But if you just stop and say, wow, okay, I'm having a reaction, uh, But, and always take a breath because you have to release the tension in your body in order to, to be able to override it because the tension will take over. So it's like, oh, I'm having a reaction. (sighs) Let me exhale here and then decide what is it I want to feel instead.
1: Which takes practice. And
2: that will help you to
1: know what to say. This takes a lot of practice.
2: Well, you know, it it does and it doesn't. It's it's like it takes practice, practice with things that aren't um, as uh, volatile. You know, <laughs> so there are some situations where I can easily do this. You know, when I teach, um, I've learned how to do it. And then there's some people in my life, like my sister, that I don't know that I'll ever do it well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and that's what I meant by it takes practice. There were some situations right. that so just are so know emotional. Yeah, some people
2: just trigger you and that's just going to be yeah. the way it is.
1: <laughs> so let's move on then to, and, and I realize we don't have a ton of time, but what coaching approaches mm-hmm. can leaders adapt to shift the mindset mm-hmm. of others in a conversation? So what do I do if I want right. to shift your mindset?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the first things that I know is sometimes difficult for leaders is that um, we have to allow people uh, a little space to tell their story. Um, you know, we often, uh, they come in, they have a complaint, and, you know, a leader then wants to jump in and tell them what to do. And then the person doesn't feel heard, and you're probably not solving the right problem because you haven't really heard what they need. So... The first thing is to be able to just to uh, allow them the space to tell their story and to appreciate their experience, whatever that is. Um, And then start summarizing. So what you're telling me is this. So I see that you think that, that that other team is out to get your team. Is that true? You know, and sometimes just summarizing and paraphrasing what the person is telling you, sometimes that's enough that they start to hear themselves think. They start to see the gaps in their logic and maybe some of their beliefs that, you know, are crazy. So we summarize, paraphrase, give back what we hear and and notice. You know, and I can see that you're really upset about this. Um, and then maybe ask them questions. So what do you think about that? How do you know that's true? Um, how long has this been going on? So we summarize and then just ask clarifying questions. Start there. You would be amazed how, how much more quickly people will change their perspective. And once they change their perspective, they change their behavior. It's more effective than saying, here's what I think you should do, and then expecting them to go do it.
1: So do you have an example, I assume you have probably thousands of them, where you've (laughs) done this questioning process and seen a significant shift pretty quickly?
2: Well, one of my favorite examples is, I was uh, coaching this woman uh, who was, senior VP of HR for uh, one of the large retail chains here in the U.S. And she came on the call, and she just started into this. Um, I'm so overwhelmed. I have so much to do. I don't know where to start. Um, you have to tell me how to prioritize. Now, I could have done that. You know, I could have given her some steps and what's most important to you and all of that. But instead, I said, okay, let me just, share with you. You're telling me that you have all these things to do and and you don't know where to start. You need help prioritizing, correct? And she said, yes. I said, so let me just kind of step back, another step back. So um, you're the senior VP of this large corporation. Prior to this, you were a very successful corporate attorney. Somewhere along the line, I, I, I have to assume, that you learned how to prioritize or you wouldn't be in the position you are today. She got very quiet, and she said, "Uh, yeah, probably. I said, so here's the question I want to know. What's keeping you from prioritizing right now? And again, a long pause, and she said, You know, I think I've lost my way. I don't know what's most important. I I had a vision when I started this job, and now I don't know if I have it anymore. And so I don't know what it is that I want. And I said, well, that's a different conversation if you'd like to have that. And she said, "Um, well, actually, no. I took the job because I wanted to learn the retail business because my husband and I had a dream of opening a restaurant. And I don't know if he wants to do that anymore, and and I need to talk to him. And so I said, okay, great. And so we, we rescheduled, and she came back and said, you know we do want to do this and I need to stay with this company a little longer because there's other things I need to learn. And you're absolutely right. I don't need you to tell me how to prioritize.
1: That's a beautiful example. Thank you. And I want to Mm -hmm. shift us right now. We have about two minutes left. And I want to make sure our listeners hear, again, the name of your latest book and the book Mm -hmm. that you talked about, uh, the Discomfort Zone book, so they, they can hear from you where to get more information about this and also how to contact you.
2: Yeah, sure, thank you. Well, the book that's coming out in June and it's available now um, uh, for pre-order is Coach the Person, Not the Problem. And the example I gave you was exactly that, that you're helping people to understand what's stopping them from moving forward, not telling them what to do. So how do you coach the person in front of you not the problem they're facing. So coach the person, not the problem, which actually came out of my work. My last book was The Discomfort Zone, How Leaders Turn Difficult Conversations into Breakthroughs. And um, so a lot of what we talked about today came from the discomfort zone, Um, and then I just went deeper with how do I actually apply that in conversations with the new book. Um, And you can find all the information. My website is covisioning, one word, covisioning.com. And if you go there, right up front, there's a button about uh, take a look at my books. (laughs) But there's a lot of other resources. If you click on Discomfort Zone, there's tools and tips and all kinds of things that people can find on my website.
1: Thank you very much. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I trust that you found many helpful tips from Marsha. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email me at infoinnovateleader.com at or connect with me on LinkedIn, Maureen Metcalf. And also like us on whatever podcast platform you you use and give us a write-up. Thank you very much for joining us, and we trust that you'll be joining us again soon.